Welcome to the One Player Podcast. I'm your host, Julius Besser. This is episode 133. I put a spell on you! Close enough, Dilly. Close enough. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm here, well, I guess not all by my lonesome. I have my, one of my trusted co-hosts, Deli Besser, here with me. Say hello to everybody, Deli. Hi! And today we are going to be reviewing the solo game Lock and Spell. Deli, are you familiar with this one? Uh, yeah, I played it with you. Oh, you played it with me? Yeah. So it's a solo game that we played together? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That tracks. It is a solo game. It is a one-player game. Uh, Deli happened to play it a number of times with me. Um, we've done very well at the game, so let's go ahead and give it a chat. Deli, how about we talk about the components first? Okay. All right. This is a game, I have to say, by the way, one thing that has really bothered me often in games, I like it that when different components are different sizes or shapes. Like, if you have tokens... And all the tokens are just circle punch-out tokens, even though they're wildly different things. That, I, I do not like that. So, like, if different tokens, like, if one token's circle or hexagram or square with a quarter removed or what have you, when they're all different shapes, I really like that. Yes, Dolly? I really agree, because then I can fiddle with things. Has well, nothing to do with fiddling with things. Has to do with making it very clear that the components are for different purposes. And there's an... This game is by a very small publisher, um, and it, I'm impressed with the quality of the production on it. One thing that really impresses me is that the different types of cards, for the most part, they're different sizes. So there's four different decks of cards in the game. The one deck is your treasure cards. There's five treasures, which have no purpose other than just a goal that you're supposed to get and then a fun little fortune-telling aspect afterwards. They didn't need to exist in the game, but they look really cool. Um, these are, there's the mirror, the skull, the sword, and the book, and each one of them is this treasure, mostly in black and white, but with the colors of the five different spells or locks that you're going to be casting at them. So they're all really nice-looking art pieces for these five little elements, and I like these elements there are these bigger tarot cards, which are your locks. And these are larger cards that essentially have a spot where you put the treasure card underneath them. And then they have slots on them that show three different keys. And so there's going to be different keys of different colors. And essentially when you get access to a key, you'll assign it to one of these locks. And when you get all three keys on the lock, it unlocks and you get access to the treasures. There are also these key cards, and the key cards are another smaller deck, and these are going to be your objectives, and essentially they're semi-poker hands. So there's like a full straight or a full even straight or a large flush, and so these are special keys, and all of them, there's a bunch of different unique shapes. There's the six different unique shapes for all of them, and cool to me is that the keys increase in complexity for the key based on the complexity of the hand. So like an easy, simple purple key is a very simple card. And it's a simple thing to do. Like a pur I'm holding one here that's a small straight. Whereas the red ones or the really difficult ones, they have a lot of style on them. They've got a flair to the key. The key itself is a more complex key. 
Uh, the the key of the lock is a more complex key, rather. It's got a crown symbol etched on it. It's just a much more complex key, noting the fact that it's a much more complex lock to be able to, or key to be able to get access to. And all of that looks really nice. It's unique art. Right? It, I mean, it's custom art for the keys. It's custom keys on the keys are all pictured on the back. It's all really nicely done. And it's a smaller deck than the other deck that you're constantly going to be using over the course of the game. There is also essentially a deck of standard poker cards that you're going to have access to the game. Now then, these are just standard poker cards. Um, but similar to the other ones, they have a custom, or at least I think it's a custom back, but it's got the four different suits on it. Now then, there's no face card values. So it's only 2 to 10. And it's 2 to 10 in the same normal four different suits. But it's a standard poker deck. It's really easy to use. The card quality is it's fine. It's nice. It's like a standard poker deck. And it's really easy and nice to use. So the production, all that is really nice. The last components that there are are these black marble pieces. They're the glass pieces. You get them at like a Sam's or Michael's or wherever have you. They're the glass beads. And then there's the rules. And that's about all the components in the game. Again, I'm stunned at how nice these components are I, they could have totally done with a lot less they could have done with the keys it could have just been text it didn't have to be unique pieces of art for the the back of it for the keys themselves all of that looks really nice has for a small little game of nice presence on what the on that card art and that card style i also really like the art and I like the, what are these called? Those are the treasures? The treasures, because they have every color on each one, and they look really, really pretty. And I, I really like the detail on the keys. They're really nice, especially the red crown one. That's really amazing. So that's all about the components. Let's talk about the rules now. Now, Deli, I, I taught Deli the game. Deli didn't have a chance to go through the rules himself. Um, the rules explain the gameplay. I will not say that the rules are the strongest thing. There's a flow that you have on your turn. On your turn, you're going to have a poker. Essentially, you, this is kind of a solo poker type game. One of the reasons why this I really wanted to give this one a shot was because of 4 Northwood. 4 Northwood, before 4 Northwood came out, and Deli's over here excited about 4 Northwood, before 4 Northwood came out, I did not think you could have a solo trick-taking game that was really good. And 4 Northwood was really good. And so when I saw the idea of a solo poker game, I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. Can you, can you do that? So when you're playing this one, it's solo poker. You're going to deal yourself a hand of poker cards, and then your goal is to try and meet one of, you'll deal five keys out, and your goal is to try and distill your hand down to match the key that you're looking for. And to do that, you'll have these five black glass called fate tokens, and you can discard a fate token by placing it on one of the keys to be able to discard any to essentially mulligan your hand discard a number from your hand and draw some more when you do that you're having to put one on the key and if you accidentally get that key later 
then you have to discard the key and the fate token, so you want to avoid that. But you'll be discarding those fate tokens to be able to keep going and getting, theoretically, a hand that matches one of the keys until you get it. When you get a key, so then you'll discard your cards, you'll put the key on the lock, and then reshuffle the whole deck and go again. If you fail to do so, if you discard all of your fate tokens and you no longer have any more fate tokens to do, then at that point in time, you've, well, you failed. Um, if you're unable to do so, you're going to lose one of the fate tokens and you're going to discard the key that it's placed on and then you have to start over again and you do a new turn. The, the game, the rules don't explain that in that flow of a turn where here's a succeeding turn. If you fail, here's what happens when you fail. The game seems to be saying, it like, here's actions that you can do. You can, you can do the following actions. You can do a key card. Uh, you can use a fate token. You can discard it, which is the fail action. Um, or you can keep using fate. And so it, it's phrasing it like there's fate actions. But to me, it's sort of, well, flowed differently to me about how it is that you're doing all of that. Because, I mean, you're phrasing it like you can use one action per turn, but if you enchant, it ends your turn. If you lose, you discard a fate token, you lose your turn. If you have a fate penalty, you lose your turn. But if you're using a fate token, it's essentially extending your turn where you go on and on and on. So just, I, I did not, it made it hard for me to understand the rules when it's not being written as a flow, even though it's a flow. You're not really taking multiple actions. You're trying to get a poker hand. You have a goal and you go through that multiple times to get to that goal. And if you fail, you incur a penalty. Yeah? We didn't use the fate tokens. No, much, the times when I played with Deli, we haven't really used the, I mean, we did use the fate tokens Once. to keep track of yeah. it. And I'll get more to that in the gameplay when we get to it. But here I'm just talking about the rules. That it it doesn't it doesn't flow for me. It I, I I would have preferred the rules just to be organized differently. And that's how I explained the game to Deli, and I explained it that way. But it is what it is. The rules also included what the meaning of some of the of some of the hands are, because some of them I hadn't heard of, like, for example, a full odd straight. So fortunately. He's kind enough to write what all of those means, very clear language to explain what those are. That was helpful for me. It could be it's not. The bulk of the rules, actually, are your fortunes. That theoretically, if you win the game, you'll look and see the order of the treasures you got, and then you'll be able to tell your fortune. Like, for example, if you get Sword Skull Mirror with eyes upon more than one target, your aim cannot be true, as an example. So, the bulk of the rules, the bulk of the pages in it, are dedicated to that. That surprised me. How about you? I love the fortunes. You loved the fortunes? I love the fortunes. They're well, really fun. They're fun to know what your fortune is like that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, for me, I, I suppose that wasn't the that wasn't for me the coolest part about it, but let's we'll get back to that once again, like the gameplay. I think I'll talk about that more then. So, yeah, that's for me the rules. I was just surprised about it, but apparently Deli appreciates the use of the, <laughs> the use of the rule books for that. Um, surprisingly, the rules don't include in the rules, like, a score guide. Normally, for most solo games, at, when it's beat your own score, it tells you how, what good of a level you had. 
That's a separate card, almost like it was forgotten the rules. Uh, so, yeah, I guess it is what it is. So, yeah, I have critiques about the rules, but it gets the point across. Yeah. Helping the dull some of that noise. We're just going to pause for a second. How long do you need to do that for? How long do you need to do that for? A few minutes. Okay. Are you able to end this out? Um, well, I mean, that bit there won't. So I'll let you finish, and then we'll just pause. Wait, are we able to? Alright. Um, we neglected to mention the theme, by the way, and I think one of the reasons why we perhaps neglected to mention the theme is that the, uh, well, the theme is. The theme of this one is that you are casting spells, which are your poker hands, on these keys in order to acquire these keys and magic them into the treasure boxes. And as you do that, you get a fortune. Uh, that's, it's an abstract I think it's basically an abstract game. Do you feel like there's any theme here? Not really. No, there's no theme here. So we're just going to move straight on to gameplay. We've discussed the majority of the gameplay. It is a poker game where, again, you're running through this flow. You have a poker hand. If you don't, if you don't like your hand, you use a fate card to pull to, excuse me, a fate token to discard cards and hope that you manage to luck into the cards that you want. Part, for me, one of the neatest parts of it is when you have to use a fate token, you have to put it on a key. Um, if you don't have the ability to put a fate token on a key in play, then you have to discard it. But otherwise, you put a fate token on a key. If you end up without enough fate tokens, you have to discard a fate token and a key, which is fine. So that means you get five shots to get a poker hand if you pull a hand that doesn't feel like it's the right one and you're trying to get one of the really difficult ones you're a fool don't do that only go for the right ones when it's you know when it seems like it's the right time when it seems like you're closest to it otherwise try going for one of the easier keys and strongest chance is that there's an easier key out there that you'll be able to get one of the neat things though is that if you put a fate token on a key card and then you accidentally get a hand that meets that key, you end up incurring the same fate penalty as if you failed to get to a full hand. You have to discard that fate token and a key. So there were definitely times where it was like, I have a hand that will go for the more difficult, for the more difficult one. So for example, I wanted a large odd straight as an example. But there was a small odd straight on the table. So I had to think, well, even though I think I have a good chance at getting the large odd straight because I'm basically already at the small odd straight, I can't put a fate token on the small odd straight because then I'm going to end up losing anyway and I'm going to have to discard it down. So I had to pull my risks and figure out, well, which one is it that I want to go? Or, for example, like sometimes there's a pair on the table and you're like, but I'm so close to getting a full house, I don't want to just go for a pair. So you end up, you can't put a fate token there. Or various, or sometimes you realize, well, if I discard the pair, then I can go for the straight, so I make sure I discard the pair so that then I can use a fate token on the pair and things like that. That is an interesting point of decision where you have to think about your hand and figure out what you can do and what you can't. The biggest problem with it is that it puts all of the mental load on you to follow your rules. 
running out of five fate tokens is so easy to implement, you run out of five fate tokens and you lose. Here, I'm having to reevaluate my hand for all five keys and see if, oops, I didn't get a key. If I realized that I was close to, oops, I got a key, I shouldn't have rather. If I realized I was close to getting a key that I shouldn't have, then I'm playing around it and it's interesting. But never, the game's not going to, it's not automated, it's not a computer. It's not going to be like, hey, you accidentally did this and didn't even realize it. No, I, I had to see it and I had to play around to begin with, which just meant that all of that was on me to be able to do. And I don't know that there's a particular solution to it other than just the fact that, you know, I, I mean, I guess I don't know what it is. But, I mean, comparing it with like an Oniverse game, which is about the box weight for this, I mean, literal physical like kilos and pounds type weight, and so that's inches in size. It's a small box game. It's about the same size, but for an Oniverse game, like if I'm playing Arion, I know when I've messed up because I've, I've run out of cards in a deck or I've run out of dice. I, like I have no more rerolls. Like there's tokens that you use, there's tokens you track of it. I don't have to go and start calculating out for all of them being like, oh, like if I'm going, I want to go for a large straight. So I, I have to make sure that I don't pull pair. And if I forget them doing pair because I'm just discarding, discarding, trying to get a large straight, I may not even see that there's a pair. And afterwards I'm like, oh, well never mind or whatever it is or just i never realize it and all of that complexity just comes from me looking at the cards and not from the game you know the game's not interacting with me the game's just sort of there and i have to interact with my i suppose i have to interact with myself on it and just it's not it's not the most engaging part of it all what did you feel about all that it uh, it wasn't it wasn't that much engaging yeah that that aspect of it wasn't. I mean, that aspect of it probably didn't bother Deli. Deli liked when Deli was playing. Deli liked, and I liked as well, the idea of having a poker hand and knowing, hey, we need to get lucky. We need to pull X and Y cards. I mean, it wasn't that the bet. It wasn't like that exciting, but it was pretty fun trying I mean, to pull it. You seemed pretty excited. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> You seem pretty excited when we, when we play it. When we play it, you seem pretty excited maybe, because maybe. you know what you need. You're like, hey, we got to get this. Let's discard again and see what we get. And then there's the occasional times when you pull it up and you're like, oh, well, I'm going to go with that pair I was holding reserve or something like that. And, you know, you, you evaluate as you're pulling along. And there's an excitement that comes with pulling the right hand of pulling the button and seeing if you get lucky on it and trying to get lucky. There's a certain amount of excitement that comes with playing the game. And there's a certain amount of strategic holdback and having to mitigate and deal with that luck or figure things out. It was fun, but my favorite part is still the fortunes. Still the fortunes? Still the fortunes. You can't beat the fortunes. Can't beat the fortunes. I mean, unless you don't beat the game, in which case you don't get a fortune. You just get death. Deli is having a shocked Pikachu face here. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, I enjoyed playing through that, and I suppose at this point in time we're almost moving into our final thoughts. So why don't I give my final thoughts, and then Deli can give his. Um, so, I mean, I walked into this with the idea that, hey, it's a poker game that you can play solo, and it absolutely is a poker game that you can play solo. I would not have expected it to, I would not have expected it to succeed at all. To me, but if you tell me poker solo, like, you're missing out 
on the bluffing. You're missing out on the table reading. You're missing out on all of that that goes into the poker, all of the social interaction that goes into poker, and you don't have any of that with this. But this one still gets, you know, the, the excitement of the hand, the excitement of the rush of everything coming out, and all of that pulls through. It's not a super strategic game. It's not, you know, you, there's not a lot of points of decision. There's not a lot of complexity here to it. It's a hand of cards that you're trying to get a specific hand for. Your decisions every turn are do you want to keep pulling or do you not? So the, the decision points are limited, but that means that if you want to sit down and play with some cards and see what comes out of it, it's fun. It's engaging. It doesn't make you have to work your brain really hard. And that is fun. Me personally, I tend to lean towards games that make me feel smart. And this one didn't have a lot of those points where I really felt like I was succeeding on planning and succeeding and strategizing. This one felt like, yeah, I, pulled, I saw that I could do a small odd straight, I did it. Like, I felt more smart when I ran into issues, when I realized that there's an issue that I may run into, than I did playing the game. I think if someone with perhaps less skill, I think someone with less skill would probably win even more because they wouldn't see the issues and want to work around it, and the issues aren't apparent unless you know what it is that you're doing. But for a relaxing stroll through a deck of cards and enjoying what Fortune comes out, it's a pretty good one. And again, the production is just amazing. It's an enjoyable one to sit and look at and look at the fortunes as they come out. Deli, what are your final thoughts? I like the fortunes. You like the fortunes. Deli is single-mindedly focused on the fortunes. <laughs> if, if you want to have fun delving into your own fortunes and getting an uplift to your day and figure out... <coughs> excuse me, and figure out what your fortune is going to read for today, then I guess you're going to have that. So Deli's today is the story of your life is not yours alone to tell. It cool. Fortune. It's Hashem's. Straight out of the book. It's Hashem's. Exactly. Also, fortunes. Cool. Fortunes. So that is Lock and Spell, an enjoyable little poker game for anybody who's looking for a rush of poker excitement and their early morning wake up today. Go for it, Deli. It's like a fortune cookie. It's fun to eat, plus, you know, a fortune. Deli's very much focused on the fortunes. Fortunes! Well, fortunately, we are at the end of the podcast. Fortunes! Or, or I suppose, unfortunately, maybe. Yeah, unfortunately. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you for joining us. See you later. Have fun with the fortunes! <laughs>